Hello, good morning. Great to be with you today. Hope you're feeling okay. Not too bright and bright and bushy-tailed, would you say? Ah, that's good. That's good. Well, it helped to start with that wonderful hymn, didn't it? To kind of just focus on God and to get ourselves into the right frame of mind to hear from his word. So, um, as Adi said, we're, we're in Luke chapter 11. Um, we are going through, that. we have been going through the Lord's Prayer over the last few few weeks. Um, well, really, what should be called the Disciples' Prayer. Um, the disciples have said to Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. And what we've been going through is his response. We've been going through it phrase by phrase, week by week, really kind of drilling down, analyzing what, what does it mean for us to pray along, along the lines of the Lord's Prayer that he's uh, laid out for us. And of course, what we've seen as we've gone through this is how far from being some kind of formula or mantra for our praying, something that we just kind of reel off and tick a box to say, right, we've done that, we've prayed the Lord's Prayer, we need to do that a certain number of times. Far from that, it's actually a model of how, of how we can completely relate to God, a model of how our whole prayer life can work. And as we move on today in Luke chapter 11, we're still very much looking at the whole theme of prayer. So we haven't moved on from prayer. We're still looking at prayer. And Jesus is still responding to the request of his disciples to teach us how to pray. But if the Lord's Prayer section that we have been looking at in Luke chapter 11 is about what we should pray, what we're going to look at today is more about how we should pray. Okay, so we're looking at kind of how we should pray. What is the nature of how we should pray using this model? What kind of qualities should our prayers have? And I wonder, as a bit of a start of a 10, I'm not going to ask you to call out, but just, just uh, maybe just kind of think, exercise those grey cells, as Poirot would say. Um, what two words would you use to describe your prayer life? Uh, just think about that. What two words would you use to describe the nature of, of prayer, how that prayer works for you? Perhaps if a friend of yours who doesn't, um, who's not a Christian comes and says, you know, look, you're, you're a Christian, you believe in God, you, you pray. What's, how does that work for you? What two words would you use to describe how prayer works? I wonder what, what you'd say. Hold that thought, and we're going to read through Luke chapter 11, verses 5 to 13. Then, teaching them more about prayer, he, that's Jesus, used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I'll tell you this. Though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if sinful people, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Jesus starts off with a parable, as he often does tells a story to, in order to draw out the point he's making. And what's interesting about this parable is that he frames it by placing us as the central character. So it's as if he's saying, well, suppose someone turns up at your house needing to crash for the night and you haven't got any food in the house. So then you then, suppose you go to a friend's house and knock on the door at midnight and ask them for some food. We're placed into the central kind of 
uh, character of this parable. So that's what I'd like us to do, to think, to consider what would, what would we do if we were in this circumstance. Now, <clears throat> it's a bit of a strange one for us, this, because as always, context is really important. And the context in which Jesus spoke is very different to our own. If this did happen to us, and maybe you've had it happen to you, maybe you've had a friend crash for the night at short notice, turning up on the doorstep late at night, maybe you've done it yourself to someone else. Um, I have. <laughs> um, but but in, in first century, uh, well, for us, what we'd do is we'd We'd say, okay, fine, I haven't got any food in the house. You hungry? Okay, we'll pop to the local 24-hour Tesco's or whatever and or to the petrol station, or maybe we'll call for pizza and, and we'll do something like that. So it'd be very easy to get food. And perhaps we'd also say, oh, in our sleepy state, you know what, there's, there's a sofa, there's, a, there's a, a duvet, there's the kettle, help yourself, I'm off to bed. We, you know, we're kind of very sort of throwaway about our hospitality. But in first-century Jewish culture, hospitality was prized very highly, and you would have been obliged in that circumstance to provide a meal for your traveling friend. And having empty cupboards would have been a disaster, really. It would, have, it would have been a shameful thing not to be able to provide for them. And added to that, of course, there's no Tesco Express, there's no uh, Pizza Hut. <laughs> Food wasn't as readily available as it is now. So the only option you would have had to avoid the shame of not being able to provide for your friend was to go and wake up a neighbor. Now, you'd also know that your neighbour probably lived in a small building, slept in a room on a mat on a floor with their entire family. That's kind of how it would, have, it would have been. So you would have known that to go and wake up your neighbour would actually mean waking up the entire family. They also have big bolts on the door and all that stuff. There's, there's a chance you could have woken up kind of the whole, the whole neighbourhood, really, by going and knocking on the door. So... Let's go with Jesus telling the story here and imagine yourself in that sort of scenario. How, how would you feel if you were in that position and if you had no choice but to wake up your neighbour at midnight? How would, how, would you, how would you ask? How would you ask? When the initial reply came back, leave me alone, I'm in bed and I don't want to be woken up, what would you do? Would you, would you ask again? See, it is possible that your response to that question might tell you just something about perhaps your attitude to prayer. And I think two words that might describe our response at this point, classic British response, maybe extreme embarrassment. <laughs> oh, I'm ever so sorry. I'm ever so sorry, but I just need it. Would you possibly be able to? Oh, oh. That's the kind of <laughs> the British approach to it. We'd be, or maybe kind of um, a very, very, a very, very apologetic asking. Perhaps the two, those are the two words, apologetic and embarrassed. But the two words Jesus uses are pretty striking. And bear in mind, he's telling a parable specifically about how we should pray. He says that we should ask with shameless persistence. <laughs> Fascinating. Jesus sets out this model of prayer as to how we're to relate to God, and then he says we're to pray it with shameless persistence. Now, other translations in English use words like boldness, audacity, again, persistence, again. This needs unpacking for us, needs exploring a little bit further, because it's I don't know about you, but it kind of seems a little unusual in a way to have that as a, as a description of how we should pray, how we should pray through this model of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus has given us. So let's unpack it a little bit. First of all, let's consider what, what is persistence. So persistence is basically doing the same thing again and again and again in a determined way. There's almost a kind of connotation about it in, our, in English of, of maybe being slightly unacceptable, like a little bit annoying <laughs> almost, or the kind of shameless idea, I suppose. But you, you probably know, if you've experienced this, persistence pays off. 
persistence gets results. And if you're the parents and you've got children, you probably know this, persistence pays off. They can be very persistent sometimes in asking you for things. I learned this a few years ago. I was working in town um, and, um, and, and, I, and through my work, I was offered a discount to a new um, hair salon that was opening in the city centre. I needed my hair cut, so I thought, that sounds good always good for a bargain, so I thought I'll go for this. Went to this hairstyle, and it was a wonderful kind of male grooming parlour. You know, it was one of these really nice places. Had a really nice posh haircut, and, uh, and got it for cheap, so I was, I was pleased with that. But I made the mistake on that day of giving them my details, <laughs> including my mobile number. Um, now, a week or so afterwards, I received a text from said male grooming parlour, um, thanking me for my visit and for my custom, and, and hoping that I found the experience well. I, I thought, that's, that's great, nice touch, nice bit of customer service. Then the following week, I received another text from them uh, asking if I'd like to come back for, uh, to, to book in again for my next appointment. I thought, okay, I'm not going to do that. It was, it's too expensive when you pl- pay at the, uh, the, the full rate. Um, so I ignored it. And then a series of texts started coming week after week after that, offering me um, just a wide and bizarre array of male grooming treatments, such as a back wax, um, a spray tan, and uh, nasal hair removal. Now, never before in my life have I ever considered paying for those kind of treatments. <laughs> but because of the texts that I was receiving... No, don't worry, I didn't actually do it at all. But, <laughs> but there was, yeah, the persistence kind of did, did, did sort of wear me down after a while. And, uh, and, you know, if I hadn't changed my mobile number, who knows? I might be standing before you orange today or something. I don't know. <laughs> but persistence pays off. It means to keep on doing something, to keep going. And, and it means to keep going in spite of setbacks, doesn't it? It means, it means kind of pushing through the pain barrier and keep doing something even when it's difficult. So persistence um, is what you need uh, to run a marathon. You need persistence to pass a driving test. You need persistence to pass an exam. You need to keep on training. You need to keep on revising. You need to keep on practicing uh, in a very persistent and determined way in order to actually get through that. It takes persistence on the part of my wife, Anna, to get me to sit through an episode of Call the Midwife. She hasn't succeeded yet, but you never know. She might keep trying. <laughs> so Jesus is saying we're to pray like this. I mean, I don't know, it's something unusual about this. Perhaps not what we might have expected, but it's really important for us to get to grips with this and to look into this. And you know what? I really believe that this is important for us today. This is important for us to get what Jesus is saying here. And I think if we do, it has the potential to, to revolutionize our prayer life, actually. To, to change the whole way we look at prayer, to change the whole way we relate to God, to change the way that we ask and the way that we receive and how much we expect to receive back from God. I, and I, I'm, I'm hoping and praying today that as a church there'll almost be like a raising of the bar as we look at this, as we consider what, what persistence in prayer is. And, uh, in, in, and in terms of a raising of the bar of us together as a church, the kind of things we're praying and, and the nature of our prayer, um, raising the bar in terms of all of us as individuals with our own relationships with God as to how that works. And it's really an amazing encouragement here from Jesus today as to what we can know and what we can enjoy uh, in prayer. And I think one of the reasons it's, it's unusual uh, that Jesus says to pray with shameless persistence is because there may be a question that arises in our, in our minds, and it could be something along the lines of, okay, so God is a good father who knows all things. He desires to give us good things, and he hears us the first time we pray. So the question could arise, well, why then do we need to persist in praying? Why do we need to keep on praying, keep on asking? You may even think, 
Why doesn't God actually just hear us the first time and answer our prayers? Important questions. And really what I want to do as we, as we go through the rest of our time this morning looking into this is actually kind of use that to frame the answer that, that, that I believe is here. And I've got two answers as to why persistence in prayer is so important. So we're going to look through those. The first is this. Quite simply, persistence in prayer does us good. Persistence in prayer does us good. You may have heard the story of a little boy who uh, is praying with his mum before bedtime. It's the week before his birthday, and during the prayer time, he suddenly shouts at the top of his voice, Oh dear God, please give me a train set for my birthday! To which his mum replies, God's not deaf, dear. He can hear you the first time you pray. To which he replies, yeah, I know, but granddad is, and he's loaded, and he's sitting in the next room. (laughs) But God isn't like that. God isn't deaf to our prayers. And in fact, the reason he calls us to persist in prayer is for our sake. God, it's not for God's benefit, if you like, that we actually pray. It's primarily for our benefit. God is a loving father, as it says in this passage, who's attentive to our prayers. He knows our needs, and he just can't wait to give us what we need. That's the reality. That's who God is. But the reality is with us is that often we're the ones who are slow to engage with him. You may think this prayer thing, I don't know, maybe you struggle with the whole idea of prayer, kind of why do we need to to pray? Why is it so important? Well, Well, prayer is essentially just a term for communicating with God, talking with God. It's been described as talking with God about what you and he are doing together. It's very much like any relationship um, where you share your life with someone, you talk, you communicate. Very, very important. So just like that, you do in a relationship with God. So you can talk to God about anything. You can talk to God in a very natural way. Um, But the difference is with God is that we can ask him specific things that he has the power to do. It's a relationship that's different to any other that we have because it's a relationship of dependence, because God is the creator, because we are his children, we are uh, created beings, and because God um, can meet our needs, and we need him. We are dependent on him, so we have this element of actually asking him for stuff, but we need to ask him for stuff. And prayer is the way that we express that asking. So ultimately, the main way that we benefit um, from, from persisting in prayer is that it actually brings us closer to God. It brings us greater closeness, greater intimacy with God, our Heavenly Father. The more we persist in prayer, the more we will get closer to God. And the same with the less we pray, the less we'll feel close to God. It's a very, very simple principle, really. Prayer is just the most incredible privilege for us. As, as Christians, isn't it amazing in a way that God has said, you can just come to me and pray, you can come to me, you can just speak to me and I will hear you and I have the power to influence and I care about your situation. That's just amazing. It's amazing that he hasn't said, you need to go into this building, you need to wear these clothes, you need to do this particular observance, you need to do this, this, this and this, otherwise I won't hear you at all and you need to go through this person. Isn't it amazing that that's not the way it is? That's religion. And that's not what we have. We have an amazing free relationship with our Heavenly Father that is an an incredible uh, privilege. And it's something that involves us in all three 
three persons of the Trinity. We can approach God as Father because of what Jesus has done, because he's paid the price uh, for us for his, by his death on the cross and by his resurrection from the dead. He's, he's made the way. He is the way to the Father. He's bridged the gap between us and God. He is, he's the door for us to get to God. And then it's with the help of the Holy Spirit that God gives us that we pray to the Father through Jesus. It's incredible. When we pray, we engage in this intimate communion with, with God, with all three persons of the Trinity. And the more we persist, the more we keep going in prayer, it basically means the closer we will get to God. So when Jesus is calling us to keep going, to keep praying, it's basically a call to an active, close, intimate relationship with God. And the amazing thing about relationship with God is that persistence is actually a quality that God has. God persists in his pursuit of us. It can be said that the whole Bible from, from Genesis kind of right way through to Revelation is the story of God's pursuit of us. God pursuing us as a people. And it's like God's not taking our no for an answer. Right, The way we see it throughout again and again throughout the history of the Bible, uh, his people just kind of fall away from him and go off in their own way. And it's like he won't let them go. He won't give up on them. And that's what he's like with us, isn't it? He doesn't give up on us. It's absolutely marvelous. And so, in some ways, <laughs> us persisting in pursuing him kind of reflects how he has done that with us as well. So, it's really important for us to, to hear this. I think particularly in our context, our 21st century kind of Western uh, culture, I think it's an important thing for us to hear because... Um, it's pretty countercultural, really, to persist in anything. You know, we live in quite a sort of throwaway culture, don't we? Our culture is about instant access. You know, if, if something takes longer than a few seconds, we just give up on it. And also, you've got instant access to millions of possibilities. And really, it's like you've got to keep your options open. You've got to have all these possibilities on the table. The Christian life is about the persistent pursuit of one reality, isn't it? It's about pursuing God it's about forsaking other things in order to pursue God and that's something that takes persistence that's something that takes persistence in prayer so we benefit greatly by relationship with God and a close and intimate relationship with God but there's more there's another angle in what Jesus is saying here um, that as we've as we said already it's kind of about asking for stuff it's specifically about asking he's saying ask seek knock and your needs will be met there's this dependence relationship So the second way in which we persist in prayer and how that can do us good is that it actually brings us closer in line with God's will. See, the problem with us is that often we don't really know what we need when we ask. We're like, we can be like my two-year-old who sometimes asks me for stuff that I'm just not going to give her. Like, maybe we're having a little craft project and we're making a, a card for a birthday or for Mother's Day or something. And, um, and you know, we, we're cutting up the stuff. And she's, oh, Daddy, scissors. She wants the scissors. I'm not going to give her the scissors to play with. I might give her the Pritt stick as long as she doesn't start chewing it. But I'm not going to give her scissors. <laughs> so it, it, we can be like that with God. We can ask for things that really, um, perhaps we don't really know what we need. And, and there's sometimes that if actually God gave us what we asked for first time, it could harm us. And so God's not going to let that happen because he is a loving father. Because he knows what we need, he will only give us good things. And that is, is, that's why this kind of almost footnote of saying about their relationship with fathers, treating God as a father, is so important because that's important to know. He will only ever give us good because he cares about our goods. And it's by persisting in prayer that we find out what we need and receive it. 
So it's by persisting in prayer that we kind of learn to discern God's will. Example of this from my own life. Um, a few years ago, I was working in town and, um, and I went for a, a kind of internal job with a company I worked for. And, uh, you know, I thought, I thought this, this job looks great. Opportunity came up. I prayed about it. I, I gave it to God. I kept sort of praying. Um, I, I prepared for the interview and everything. I went for it, got an interview um, and kind of had a... Had a you know, reasonable confidence in God. This is this is it. It's you know, it's good. This is a good job. Good move. Went for it. Went for the interview. Didn't get the job. Now, did God answer my prayer? Well, yes, in many ways. Because later on, with the benefit of hindsight, I realised that that wasn't that wouldn't have been the right job for me. Actually, the job I was, I ended up in was the right job for me for that time. And later on, I realised that that was the case. And that, I was like, wow, okay. So I prayed, and God, God perhaps didn't give me the answer that I'd expected but it was what I needed. And this is an important job, important lesson for us to learn. And in, in this, it's like keeping on praying. It tests the heart. It tests the motives. You know, actually, when we pray, God, your will be done, how much do we kind of really mean that? And that can be a difficult lesson to learn. And perhaps the um, most famous example of someone learning this lesson is the Apostle Paul, a uh, great uh, pioneer of the early church, obviously wrote half of the New Testament, um, Obviously, we consider him to be an incredible man of faith and a man of prayer. Now, he wrote about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, he said that three times he pleaded with the Lord to take away what he calls this thorn in his flesh, which we don't know what it was, but some kind of affliction, some kind of thing that was bothering him. And he came to God, he said, please, Lord, take it away. And, he, and, and we see an example of Paul persisting in prayer. He prays once, he prays twice, he prays third time, and God still doesn't take this thing away but does God answer his prayer? Yes, very, very most definitely he does. And this is what Paul learned through it. He says in, in, in verse 9, But God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, says Paul, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. It's like through prayer, Paul learned an amazing truth about God. And you know, it's times... There are times when you pray and you don't get the answer you expected, but God can work in you through that to benefit you more deeply and more profoundly than you had actually asked in the first place. I hope that makes sense. One writer puts it like this. Persistence does not guarantee that you will get what you asked for, but it does promise you will get something better and actually closer to your heart's deepest desire. God will answer your prayers, perhaps not when we wanted or even how we wanted, but in a way that we truly longed for in the depths of our soul. When we keep going in prayer, when we keep on bringing it to God, we benefit at the very deepest level because we understand God's will more and pray more in line with it. And that means we actually get more of what we need, what we really need. And I don't know about you, but I, I need to hear this because I know that prayer can be a battle prayer sometimes can be a battle I don't know whether what your two words were uh, that I asked you about earlier to describe your prayer life but it's possible that words like oh, inconsistent or or difficult or challenging or um, you know those kind of words may have come in and that's because prayer is is a battle prayer can be a battle but let me encourage you if there are areas in your life where you've prayed you brought something to God and then maybe you've stopped asking maybe you haven't seen yet the breakthrough that you're looking for you haven't seen God answer in the way that you're hoping then 
let me just encourage you that the worst thing you can do is actually to stop praying. When we keep going in prayer, God will answer. Surely this is what Jesus is encouraging us here, that let's not give up. Keep on praying. Keep on seeking. Keep on asking. I love the fact that there's like, in two verses, Jesus actually tells us six times that God answers prayer. He says, ask, seek, and knock. Because anyone who asks receives, anyone who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, a door will be opened. <laughs> in two verses, he's given us six encouragements that God answers prayer, because he knows that we need to hear it so many times. It can be a bit like this, I guess, if, if you don't persist in prayer about a situation or about something you're praying for. It's like, it goes like this. If you, sorry, if you do persist in prayer, it can go like this. Pray, trust. Pray, trust. Draw closer to God. Discern a bit more of God's will. Pray, trust, receive, have an answer to prayer. When we don't persist in prayer, it can go more like this. Pray, trust, start to wonder. Doubt creeps in. Start to rationalize in your head. Maybe start to think, I need to make something happen here. Start to rely on your own strength. Unbelief comes in. And before you know it, God is out of the picture completely out of the picture of that situation or of that, of that thing that you had asked him for. We need to maintain this persistence in prayer because for our own benefit, to keep us in line with God's will, to keep us going after him. Prayer is a battle that we are meant to win. You know that? Prayer is a battle we're meant to win. As Christians, prayer is like, just, it's like the fuel of our whole life. It's so important. There's a phrase that says, Satan laughs at our words, mocks our works, but trembles when we pray. And this brings us on to the second answer to the question of why God would want us to be persistent, shamelessly persistent in prayer. And that is, persistence in prayer changes the world. Okay, so persistence in prayer does us good, and persistence in prayer changes the world. So there are some times when you pray when you're not sure what you need. And then there are sometimes when you pray when you know you're on safe ground. There are sometimes you pray and you know that you're praying in the will of God. And again, that's why it's so wonderful that God has given us um, this model so that we know that we can pray well within his will. When we pray, Father, let your name be honoured in this situation, we know we're praying in God's will. When we pray, Father, I want your will to be done in this decision, in this relationship, in my workplace. Let your kingdom come in my home, in my street. When we pray these things, Father, please provide for my needs and the needs of my family or the needs of us as a church. We know we're on safe ground. And there's a really important strand that just before we finish, I want to draw out here, which is this quality of boldness um, in the kind of prayer that Jesus is describing here, this, this shamelessness, this audacity in, that should characterize the way we pray. I don't know about you, but when I think of the word shameless, there's just one face I can't get out of my head, this chap. <laughs> it's, it's almost a bit like, really? God, you want us to be shameless in prayer? Like, that just almost doesn't seem right. It seems a bit kind of irreverent or something. What does it mean? Well, N.T. Wright describes it like this. He says, Jesus is encouraging a kind of holy boldness, a sharp knocking at the door, an insistent asking, a search that refuses to give up. That's a great description of prayer. In the message version of this passage, in verse 8, it, it says this, Stand your ground, knocking and waking all the neighbors. 
<laughs> I love that. The sense of like, just a complete shameless. No, come on, I, I need this bread. I need this bread. Knock, knock, knock. And it's almost like you don't care who you're going to upset. You don't care how many noses you're going to put out a joint because you know that you need this thing. There's like a crossing of boundaries. There's a sense of, yeah, a sense of kind of waking up the neighbors in it. And you just think, well, it's almost, I don't know about you, it's almost something in me that thinks like, really? But no, this, this is God's word. This is what Jesus wants us to do. I think, I think what it means for us is that God is saying he wants us to pray big prayers. God wants us to pray big prayers. He loves to answer big prayers. He wants, us to, he wants to catch us up in what he's doing and to see beyond what we can see and to imagine change in situations. And then he wants us to pray. He wants us to ask him to bring about that change. And we see it in, uh, in the, throughout the Bible in different characters. Sorry, I'm just checking the time. Um, we see it throughout the New Testament in the early church, littered with prayer meetings where they saw huge kingdom advance. The church prayed. Peter was miraculously released from prison by an angel. The church prayed. Paul and Barnabas were set apart to go and plant churches in the entire Mediterranean region. Prayer is just uh, the cornerstone of it. I've got a little story to read you, and this is from the ninth, the ninth, in the 1940s, something that was happening in the Hebrides, which is a series of islands up in the north of Scotland. It says, Peggy Smith was 84 years old and blind. Her sister, Christine, two years younger, was almost doubled up with arthritis. Yet in the early hours of a winter's morning in 1949, in a cottage near Barvis Village on the Isle of Lewis in the Scottish Hebrides, they were found in earnest prayer. That morning, God visited them in a special way, giving them an unshakable assurance that the revival they and others had been praying for for months was near. This is what God has promised. I will pour water on him that is thirsty and floods on dry ground. They then gathered um, a number of them together, about 30 of them, spending the night in prayer in a nearby cottage. And the description continues. God was beginning to move. The heavens were opening. We were there on our face before God. Three o'clock in the morning came, and God swept in. About a dozen men and women lay prostrate on the floor, speechless. Something had happened. We knew that the forces of darkness were being driven back, and men were going to be delivered. We, we left the cottage at 3 a.m. to discover men and women seeking God. I walked along a country road and found three men on their faces crying to God for mercy. There was a light in every home. No one seemed to think of sleep. And when they gathered the church in the morning, the place was crowded. A stream of buses came from every part of the island, yet no one could discover who had told them to come. A butcher in his van brought seven men, a total distance of 17 miles. All seven were gloriously converted. Now the revival was really underway. The Spirit of God was at work. And I love the fact that that story starts with two old ladies praying in a room in the middle of the night. Isn't that amazing? God, his will for us is that we change the world. But we can only change the world through our prayers. We can't do it in any other way. So we may as well get praying, eh? We may as well get praying. And God invites us to pray big prayers. Let me ask you, what, what are your big prayers? What are your big prayers? Maybe family, friends, maybe people who don't know Jesus that you've been praying for for some time and you haven't seen any change, you haven't seen any breakthrough. 
maybe you've given up praying for them or your prayers for them have become less persistent than in the, in the past. And it feels like maybe you're standing at the door and you're starting to think, what am I doing here? It's midnight. I'm starting to feel the chill. That door's not opening. Maybe I need to go and do something else. Maybe I need to give up. If that's where you are, I want to encourage you, keep going. Keep knocking on that door. Keep knocking on that door. Let's, let's give God no rest. There's an amazing passage in Isaiah 62. It says, you who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. There we go. An amazing invitation to give God no rest, to bother God, to keep on knocking on the door. And I love the fact that Jesus says, you know, he won't do it for friendship's sake, but because of your shameless persistence, he'll open the door. And the way, he, the way he frames it is by saying, look, if this is how this guy acts, how much more will God, who is actually a loving Heavenly Father, answer your prayers? I really encourage you, perhaps over the next week, take half an hour, carve out half an hour to sit down somewhere and to think about what the biggest, most audacious prayers would be that you could pray for, you, for your situation, for your family. What prayers can you pray for your family, for your kids? How much godly ambition can you have for them how much can you ask god for for their lives what about your workplace people that you work with what about your your finances what about this city what prayers can we pray for birmingham what can we ask god for for this city and and for the world for situations that we see on the news or know about here are some words that it would be great if it could describe our prayer life. And, and this is what Jesus is calling us to here. Regular, confident in God, in God's willingness to answer. Audacious and shamelessly persistent. We're given free permission to pray in this way. And also, as we're considering uh, how prayer works individually, there's also a corporate or collective element. So us as a church... And in fact, um, in the Greek, when, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach us to pray, he says, this is how you should pray, and the you is a plural. So it's very much a collective, a corporate thing. And I just want to end by kind of appealing for corporate prayer in the church. So important for us as a church to gather together, to pray, and to pray these big, shameless, audacious prayers to God for us as a, as a church and for this mission that he's given us, for this city that is just so needy, so in need of him. I encourage you that um, this week we kind of set the, the um, timetable for the next term. And after, after Easter, we're going to be gathering to pray across all the sites for a week. And then in the middle of the term, we're going to be having another 24-7 prayer week. Another opportunity to sign up for slots to pray. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could fill that week with, with people praying all across the church? And even though we're not physically together, there's a, there's a sense of being together in it. I encourage you to, to dream dreams, to imagine what God can do in the future, and to pray. And to finish, I'd love to invite you to stand, and we'll, we will pray together.